Welcome again to the Service Design Podcast. My name is Lauren Somers. And I'm Jeroen de Tijd. And today we are having a chat with Chui Vang, the recipient of the Global Service Design Award in the category Best Student Project for her Master Thesis, SAFE. SAFE is a service designed to help consumers easily identify CO2-friendly fresh products when shopping for groceries and also trying to build an understanding of sustainability in the context of food. Chui is a German service and experience designer. And um, yeah, she started actually her career in telecommunications industry, uh, where she worked in project management uh, for customer care and customer experience before deciding to transition uh, towards uh, design. And yeah, good design for uh, Chui means designing a sustainable future by considering society's and the planet's needs, as well as ensuring equality and accessibility to everybody. And I think that's also very present in her thesis. Uh, so um, so that's a, that's a great uh, fit. Currently, Chuyi works as an experience design consultant at IBM IX, and she's, um, yeah, we welcome her in our uh, podcasting studio here in Ghent. Welcome, Chuyi. Congratulations with the awards. Hi, thanks so much. And thanks so much for having me. You said um, it's your first time in Ghent, right? Yeah, it's oh. the first time. <laughs> what part of Ghent did you see so far? <laughs> Well, I saw the location here, which I already think it's super cool. It's a really nice location. Um, and yeah, I saw the, how do you call it? The Haven? Haven? Yeah, the, uh, the port. The port, port. yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> I guess in German, it's also Haven, right? In yeah. Dutch, it's also Haven. <laughs> so it's, that's your first uh, Dutch uh, word that you've learned. Amazing. So we're here to talk about your um, master's thesis today that won you the, uh, the awards. Um, for the listeners, it's probably not something they know about much yet. So could you perhaps tell us a little bit about SAFE first before we dig into the process of how you came up with the challenge itself? Yeah, sure. So SAFE is a service that I designed that should help the consumer to easily identify CO2-friendly vegetables and fruits. Um, and how SAFE is working is basically that it's based on the idea of a collaboration between the government, supermarkets and data pro providers so that we um, provide trust to the consumers um, when they shop for groceries. And um, SAFE is based on a loyalty card system so whenever you go to the supermarket you get to see a label um, that has an s on it and that shows you that it's uh, labeled by safe and when you pick that one certain product that has a safe logo and go to the cashier you then show them your safe loyalty card and then you can collect points and um, the points will then be um, added to your account. So the idea is that you download an app where you can see um, all the points that you have collected and also get an overview of the CO2 emissions that have been produced um, for the product that you bought. So you get to know how much CO2 was produced during cultivation, production, until it actually landed on the shelf in the supermarket. And then you learn something new and um, also get to learn how much actually points you have collected because if you reach a certain number you get a discount coupon um, and that one you can use for your next grocery shop um, so yeah safe is basically a service that 
nudges the consumer to behavior change so that they pick um, low CO2 emissions products, but then also learn new things, basically. All right, cool. Yeah, um, what made you focus on the uh, food consumption in the first place and the sustainability of, of food consumption and grocery shopping? I think it was something um, because of my personal interests. So I'm super interested in sustainability, finding ways of reducing the impacts of climate crisis and also on food. And when I learned that one third of CO2 emissions are actually caused by the food industry, I knew this is something that I want to put my focus on. And it was also important for me that I could make a difference and have a positive impact with the work that I'm doing. So that's why I picked um, that topic. But then, of course, had to figure out how I narrowed it down because it was, was a three months project for a major thesis. And I had to see um, what was realistic for me actually to produce and design during that period of time. So what I then was thinking about was to come up with different, how might we statements just to think about potential problem areas um, and then decided that I wanted to tackle an issue that was more from the consumer point of view because we are all consumers, we all consume food. So I thought it starts actually with the consumer to get a good understanding and the behavioral change that can then lead to a systemic change maybe in the food industry. So this is how I came mm -hmm. up with that idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also read on the on the winners page of the Service Network that um, one of the the big opportunities um, or challenges was as well that um, there's so much knowledge, but it, it it's also very confusing for consumers to know which uh, let's say Apple is the most CO two friendly or has the lowest footprint. Is that something that you struggle with that as well? Like you you felt it and that inspired you to do something about it because it's for me that's something that I. Um, I tried to look at the country, for example, of the, 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 the producing country, but um, I think there's a, it's, there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, definitely. So I always struggle as well to figure out which product is actually the most sustainable one. So before that, I actually thought I only have to look at um, products that are locally produced. But then I learned it's also effect of is it actually also in season and then the other part is that um, a product that is organic also makes a difference on the co2 emissions that have been produced and also on our climate so it's so difficult and there are so many different factors and when i was then talking to different consumers and interviewing them and observing them as well i also noticed that they struggle with that as well and if we look at our daily lives, and also I'm thinking about my daily life when I don't have time to do my grocery shop and just quickly want to pick something from um, the store, that's even more difficult because I just don't know which product to get. And then you have like five different types of tomatoes and you don't know which one to go for. So yeah, I really wanted then to find a solution for that. So what you what you had to do was actually find a solution so you can uh, in this in this decision making process of a consumer which is a very narrow window in time what you can show them to actually help them make a conscious decision and um, am, am I right by assuming that seeing um, what is impactful for for example for sustainability by uh, by looking at CO two that you didn't get that answer from the consumer, but from other research you had to do as well. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so with the consumer, what I got was more the reasons why they act in the way they are acting. So and what kind of mindsets they have. So for example, that um, time is a big factor for them. They um, want to get things done quickly or they are confused or they just don't care. You also have these people. But then I was talking to sustainability experts like agricultural scientists, people who are in food sharing um, organizations, and then also someone who was working in um, a company where they were providing food labels. So that was super interesting for me to get their perspective as well, to understand where they see the challenges are. And then also talking to um, grocery chains, I had the chance to talk to the head of sustainability from different grocery chains. And this opened up my eyes as well. And I understood what they were doing. And also, again, it showed me um, what kind of challenges there were. And interesting was for me to see patterns as well um, with those different groups of people. And I knew, okay, this is the direction to go. Can you give an example of a few of these patterns, things that popped up? I think one of the things that were most significant was the fact that people don't have time. Um, what I've learned from the head of sustainability from grocery chain, he was saying they have so many things to deal with in their daily lives, need to be a parent, need to get the grocery shop done and um, then also go to work. And then if they go to the supermarket, They are not on a supermarket shopping mission. They just want to get it done as quickly as possible. And if they need to then think about what kind of sustainable impact it could have um, on the planet, then that's too much. And this is also something that I've then learned from consumers. They were saying, oh, I, I don't have time. I just quickly want to get the things done. Um, and yeah, this, this was something that was interesting for me to see that um, the experts um, in the industry, they also notice that same challenge. How did you discover opportunities then to like intervene in their behavior? The nudging, you say, what, what kind of um, research did you do or what kind of um, methods did you use to come up with possible solutions there? I think, first of all, most importantly, it was interesting for me to identify the mindsets so I mapped out four different ones and understood how they were thinking, how they were behaving. And I aligned those with an empathy map, which was super interesting for me as well, because when I observe consumers as well, I could actually see if they actually behave in a way like they told me they would behave. Um, and this was something that gave me a good understanding of where they put their focus on and their attention to. And um, with that knowledge, I then did co-creation sessions with those consumers. And I think this was super valuable because you design something for them. You want to encourage behavior change and it doesn't work if you do it on your own and think this is the right solution. Here you go. This was something actually that I did before. I designed something where I thought, oh my God, that's the solution for that. And that's a winning idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was a prior version of what SAFE is right now. So it was also a point collection system, but um, people would immediately get a discount if they, for example, pick the blueberries from, let's say from Belgium, 
um, instead of the apples from Australia. But when I did an early testing um, as in a, a form of a role play, I learned that the consumer wouldn't go for the blueberries instead. They would actually buy both things because they think, oh, I get a discount. So why not get these two? Mm -hmm. um, so I realized <laughs> I would actually cause like the opposite. Extra consumption. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I hope the supermarkets aren't <laughs> listening. <laughs> this is a gold mine. <laughs> well, but that, that's, that's super interesting. And because um, um, if I understand correctly, you, you had this idea, then you, you uh, was it also part of the master thesis, like the first study in the first testing? Or did you really go from just a, a really thorough research phase into design, into implementation? Or was it more like, oh, Oh, no, I have this idea. I'm going to test it directly, do the role playing. Like what, what kind of, in general, the, the phases did you, did you go through in the, in the design process? So it was all part of the master's thesis. So I started with the research phase where I observed um, the consumer and also spoke to those different stakeholders. And then what I did was I did the co-creation session with some users and uh, potential users and then made up some different ideas and was then also using um, methods like um, impact and um, effort. So the metrics um, that you usually also use in marketing, mm -hmm. yeah. right, yeah. Um, to identify the potential of mm -hmm. different ideas. And then I decided to go with um, the point collection system because I thought, um, oh, well, with the methods I use, I noticed that this could have like the greatest impact. Um, but then I noticed when I tested it that it wouldn't be that effective mm -hmm. um, and impactful, wouldn't actually work in real life. So this was the time where I then did some iterations and then tested again with um, the extreme users that I've identified. And also I spoke to um, the head of sustainability from a different grocery chain again, told them about the idea and asked them, would that be realistic to implement? Because mm -hmm. the supermarket plays an important role as well. We don't only have one actor, one user, but like they have to commit to that as well. Mm -hmm. So I learned that it should be as seamless as possible. Like it wouldn't even exist um, to them to make it successful and make it work. Mm -hmm. So you talk about extreme users. Um, how did you consider who extreme users are? I was thinking about the mindsets again. So I had those four different mindsets. And for me, those who belong to one certain mindset, I call them the extreme user because they extremely behave in that certain way. If there's one user, he has patterns in different mindsets, I wouldn't call them extreme user. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you, and did you make personas then from, from these users or how did you, um, or, or was it more a simplified version of dimensions that you used for recruiting them? I didn't come up with personas and um, to be honest, I used the mindset and the insights that I got, I put them into a matrix to identify those different mindsets. So there are like um, two different adjectives that are so opposite from each other that I put like on the one end and on the other end. And this is how I then actually identified them. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's interesting. 
uh, we hear a lot different, a lot of different research techniques, also a lot of different uh, testing techniques. But I'm wondering, like, is there a technique, a tool, a method for you that was like the most valuable that you know, like, oh, this is something that I will always try to do in in, in a project like this. I think the role play was hugely um, important during the process because this was the point where the potential user was thinking, okay, save would exist now. Would I behave in that certain way? Um, and I think this is something that sometimes we don't do very much often. We only focus on the user experience of one single touch point, but don't think about the whole experience and how that touch point that we then design would actually fit into that. As a co-creative technique, you used role play basically. So rather than making a, a customer journey map and then seeing, oh, this touch point is interesting, let's design a solution there. You actually role played part of this journey that they would take. Was that um, in real life? Was that a, a live session that you did? Yeah, that was a live session. And I think that made a difference as well, because it's a bit difficult to do it online, especially remote. Mm -hmm. And how did you divide the roles? Was there one person like um, body storming and acting out loud what the application would, would be? Or how did you how did you go through this? I actually did it on my own, that process, and had two extreme users sitting next to me, but they were not allowed to talk to each other. That was super important to me. And I told that user um, what the situation is. So that person would now want to do their grocery shop, and this is what I provide them. And I drew some sketches of veg and fruits mm -hmm. and gave them the save card, and then um, it was up to them to see what they do with it. It was more like an experience um, prototype testing than actually a user testing of that one single product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that. Um, the thing is sometimes when we design services as well, you, you see the entire journey, but then you decide to to all kinds of reasons to to focus on this one touch point and really try to come up with a, with a great solution there. But I also like the the approach to just take everything and really, really put it into the market and as a test, like let's test the entire experience, even though we're not really sure about everything yet, uh, to get, get to get lots of feedback. I can imagine that it really opens up the the, the possibilities again as well for uh, for pivoting and more improvements. Um, wow, that's great. Um, can you also maybe share some unique challenges you had during these projects? Uh, I mean, we, we focus on the, the research tools mm -hmm. and the methods. It's really interesting, but I can also imagine that as a student, it's also quite challenging to maybe bring all those people together to find the, the right leverage. How, uh, how was that for you? I think um, actually because of the support from my um, tutors and mentors from the college in Ireland, it was not that difficult to find those people because they always asked me to go out to do a LinkedIn post to reach out to people just to go out to supermarkets and just talk to people randomly um, and reach out to them. So it was not that difficult for me because there were constantly people telling me to do it, which helped a lot. But one of the challenges that I was then facing was to actually identify the problem area because during the research you have 
a lot of information. And that topic is so broad that I got lost um, at one point and didn't really know where to move forward with. So what helped me there was actually to go back and think about the process. And also when I experienced the failure of my experience prototyping, where I, I learned that it wouldn't work in real life, that was something that was... Yeah, those moments. <laughs> yeah, that was super disappointing. Um, but what I've learned was actually you, you should not um, question yourself. This is something what I did, which was super challenging. Um, also, it was such an intense time, three months. You had to do the whole process, come up with a prototype. Um, so that was the point where I was struggling a bit. And that was a huge challenge for me. But I learned that you should take a deep breath and see all the feedback that you get as something valuable, but don't take it too personal. Um, so this is something I would do now. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's some of the, another question I had in mind, like if you would do it over, what are some things you would, you would change? Uh, but I can imagine that, um, that I, I, I really like that, that learning as well. Uh, for me, there were two points I want to highlight on the, on the things you said. First of all, um, I think is the idea of, of going out there, just um, also maybe um, open, opening yourself up towards feedback, but also um, it's, it's a mindset, right? Just go out on the street, go into the shops, go into the grocery stores and, and ask people about things. Um, did you already have that from your previous uh, experience in project management, like the, the, um, uh, the confidence to do that? Or was that also something that you had to grow in a little bit and made you maybe feel uncomfortable as well at, at times. It was definitely something I had to grow into. I I challenged a lot um, at the very beginning. I struggled a lot to do that. Um, my tutor, she told me um, all the time, just go out, go to the supermarket, ask them. And before I did that, I just thought, oh God, I can't do <laughs> yeah, it. Easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but then at one point I just told myself, okay, put it on the agenda. You are going to do it tomorrow morning at 9am. <laughs> you just go out, approach different supermarkets. And I think if you do it once, then it's easier to do it more often. Did one of them uh, accompany you on one of these trips? like at a single point to help you or coach you in interviewing people? Or is, it, or is that something you figured out on your own? How to um, interview those people in supermarkets. Um, this was actually something that we got taught during the master's course, which I found super available. And um, they were showing us a lot of things in theory, but then giving us a lot of tasks where we actually had to approach people in real life as well. Even though it was during the pandemic and the COVID time, we still were able to find a way to talk to those people with the mask on, maybe. Um, but I mean, there were still people around on the streets that we could approach. So um, our tutors, they were quite keen to uh, teach us this. Okay. Yeah, it's, it seems you had a, a great tutor as well, really pushing you <laughs> yeah. beyond, uh, beyond the, the limits. <laughs> Um, uh, I wanted to uh, address something else, uh, uh, what you said before, like if you would do something different then, um, yeah, are there other aspects that you would change or that you would do differently looking back on the, on the project? I think 
it's really more of a mindset thing that I would change if I would do the project again, trying to be more calm <laughs> and not stressing myself out. This uh, would be something I would change. But I think for the process, I wouldn't change anything. I think everything was part of a learning process, really. And within design, this is also part of it that you always learn something new, you experience failures and it's valuable for me. I grew a lot in that project, I would say. Yeah, I can I can imagine. If you if you're talking about the, the stressful situations, there's this uh, this good quote of uh, Lou Down uh, about service design that it, don't let service design be the hill you die on because sometimes <laughs> you want to change so much and want to implement so many things, uh, but then we we also have to be uh, <laughs> yeah humble about the things that do change and it mm. takes time as well. Yeah. Um, in relation to the to the project, um, it was a master's thesis. Mm -hmm. uh, I read somewhere there were plans to do a pilot and to implement it. Is that something that is going on or is still on hold? Or are you trying to, or you just let it go? Uh, what is happening now with, uh, with uh, SAFE? There is nothing planned so far. So SAFE currently exists as my major master thesis and that's it for now. But um, what I do get the opportunity right now is to talk a lot about that project and to share the knowledge um, that I gained throughout it, which is super valuable for me um, because it just shows again how important it is to design with the planet in mind. And I mean, we're still in a climate crisis and I think there are a lot of things that we still need to do in order to save our planet and our society as well. Mm -hmm. When you talk about um, the planet's resources, you've also mentioned um, improving things for society as well. Uh, it reminds me of Kate Rowarth. I think you might have read the book Donut Economics. No. <laughs> it's a must read for you then. It's, you're going to love it. It's, okay. a, it's a wonderful <laughs> book describing how we can strive for um, an economy mm -hmm. and a way of, of living and consuming within the boundaries of both society and the planet's resources. So it's it just, yeah. When I read your bio, I thought, okay, maybe <laughs> maybe this is something you've, you've used as inspiration already. I will keep that in mind, that's for sure. But what I um, actually use a lot as inspiration was um, the disruptive design method from Leila that you also got to interview. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she inspired me a lot to think about systemic impact. Um, we yeah. should connect you too. <laughs> I think we have a big fan. <laughs> I would actually be super honored if I get to meet, yeah. get the chance to meet Layla. <laughs> what do you, what do you like about the, um, uh, not to go too much into detail, mm -hmm. but you're saying like, ah, oh, the disruptive school of, of, yeah. uh, of the unschool of disruptive design. That's, uh, that's the official name. Like what do you, as a, as a service designer, established service designer right now, like what do you find interesting, uh, there to, to take away? I think um, what I found most interesting was what she was um, writing about circular economy and also about thinking about what kind of impact it could have um, on planet and society, just thinking about um, things that you design in systems. Because before I was reading into her work, I was actually not quite aware of that. I knew systems thinking would exist, but I didn't know how to put that into context with the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and, and is that something that you're all so uh, implementing or trying to implement at your your current position? Like how how do you see those things working in in projects right now? You're you're, you're doing, or is it still a challenge? I think it's still something new that's still evolving, but this is something that I'm trying to integrate into my daily work right now, definitely, because. Um, it's all about, I mean, what we are doing, it always have an imp has an impact on others, also on the society, on other organizations. And I think this is something that is super important to take into consideration, especially when, if you want to design for good, right? Because um, if you design, let's say, for example, an app in a certain way, um, you have to think about, do you exclude a certain group of people as well? Because if you do that and other designers follow that, then subconsciously you will exclude certain groups of people and then um, design for inequality and not for equality. Are there any techniques you've discovered along the way to help you um, yeah, uh, counteract this, this negative side effect that you might have? So what I've been using a lot was to draw an ecosystem map. So whenever I start a project, my aim is to draw an ecosystem map and to see who would be affected by the things that we are designing. And then also seeing um, if we need to talk to them as well, maybe to see if they're okay with that and what kind of negative effect it could bring. So really including them as well. So they, yeah. they are part of the story and not just, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I find it uh, that's super interesting. That's something that I not really struggle with, but sometimes within projects, I try to think about it as well. Like, okay, we're just, we're trying to do something good, but what are some unintentional consequences, or what could be could the effect be? And um, yeah, I was thinking if you, if you take that all into account, I think we have to be honest that sometimes there are going to be consequences, and there will be some things that you might not have foreseen or um, should be different, but that also gives you new opportunities and new challenges i always try to look at it from a positive perspective but thinking about a, a project like safe or maybe um, um, uh, a related design project or something that that can can be compared like when is a project like that a success for you That's a good question. <laughs> I think it's also a difficult question. <laughs> yeah. We can figure it out together. But, but because for me, the, the, the thing where I'm coming from is, is it a success if we can change? You, you have maybe the, the philosophy of, or a designer's philosophy, if, if we can change somebody's perspective or mindsets or, or behavior, then it's already a success. Or do you maybe look at it more systemically or, or more from purely the, the environment and sustainability or also from a, a social perspective? Just, I, th I know it's a difficult question, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering about it. I think there is not um, something that I could define as a success. It's always a process, but something that would make me happy to achieve would be to actually raise the awareness to clients or people who have not considered um, thinking about systemic impact um, in that sense, for example. So if I manage to show them how valuable it is to think in that way and they then pick it up and then also um, use it again when I'm not there um, in their work, I think 
this is something that would make me happy because this would mean, okay, they saw the value in that and now they are trying to work in that way as well and considering um, impact on society, on the planet so that we can design in a good way. Yeah, I really like that, like changing the, the mindset and the, it, it starts with the awareness, uh, I think as well. Cool. I like both your answers. I can't add anything to that. If <laughs> I still I'm have still loads, thinking, yeah, <laughs> I still have lots of questions and and and, and things I wanna I wanna ask. <laughs> no, but yeah, I think um, um, it, it's a super hard question, right, uh, about the success. But that's something that I, as a designer myself, try to think more about when starting a project. Like, okay, how are we going to measure? things like how we can we we have this vision and, and the thing we want to achieve from a user experience point of view but i also it, it's not really it's not always possible right and for me it's it's, it's uh, again a learning curve as well but now nowadays i try to think about okay how can we define uh, what success means for us um and um yeah, something that that you have to take in mind is also the social impact and environmental mm -hmm. impact there uh, which isn't always clear to be honest for me uh, it isn't always clear and it's, it's still an exercise something but i also like the the idea of doing the ecosystem map uh, i think uh, i should do it more <laughs> more often uh, within projects um we always do the the do the stakeholder map But sometimes it's it's so valuable as well for the company to take, to, to look broader outside of the walls and really think about like, our societal impact and our environmental impact as well. So really inspiring. Talking about work, because now you're working at uh, IBM, are there like striking differences between how you conducted your uh, master's thesis and the way you run projects at the moment as a designer in an organization that's quite established already? I think... What I'm very glad about is that um, I can use my expertise in that and my way of working. So um, I've experienced a quite um, organization that is very open to different ways of thinking, which I'm super happy about. So if I now think, okay, we should look about the ecosystem map and think about systemic impact and also think about the service blueprint, They are happy for me to do that if the client um, is happy to do so as well. So um, I can always bring in my own ideas and then, um, then yeah, make the suggestion to the client. And then it's really up to them and also um, up to what kind of solution they want to get, what we use. But um, of course, there is the enterprise design thinking uh, method from IBM that um, super um, valuable and interesting as well um, for the project work that we are doing. Mm -hmm. Just as a wonderment, because I can imagine working for uh, for IBM that there's, and as you said, like working for clients as well, there's all this, this factor of um, business and generating business and um, uh, also maybe a financial value um, um, in, in projects. Um, Was that also the case in, in your master's thesis as well? Or, or is that something new in this service design context? I think the financial um, impact or the business um, point of view was something that I tried to um, took into consideration as well. So I figured out about the value proposition that I would bring with SAVE to different groups of people, so to the government, to the supermarkets. So for the government was they would meet the sustainable development goals. For the supermarkets, they would increase their sales rate because people would 
go to the supermarket if they can use the save coupon. Um, and I think this was something that I learned a lot within my project management role that I did before that it taught me a lot about business cases and also about key performance indicators that I should take into consideration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for me, it's also a very, very um, uh, business modeling deserves a, a very important place and role within every uh, service design project. Uh, but as well, that's something that, that we're, for, to be honest, I wasn't really, really trained for it. And it's still something that, I, that I'm as well trying to figure out, but it's, it's super valuable if you can bring, uh, always go back to the, the value proposition and, and uh, um, the model that's that's behind the, the, the proposed service that you want to achieve. Is it something you've only used in your uh, master's thesis or also um, have uh, you have been able to uh, apply in current ongoing projects, perhaps the value proposition business modeling? Yeah, the value proposition is definitely something that I'm using in my daily work at the moment as well. Because, um, I mean, whatever we design and what solution we come up with, it should bring a value to the user or the different users, right? And I think what people might tend to forget when they think about value proposition is that value proposition also looks at um, the customer and user pain points and needs. And it basically just sees how we can use our design solution to tackle those needs and the pains. And I think this is something that people don't really have in mind because they think, oh, it's so business-like um, that I don't want to have a look at it, maybe. Did you find a way to make it more um, humanly understandable, <laughs> this value proposition businessy thing? Um, so what I did was more thinking about um, the consumer side and the user perspective. What kind of pain points do they have and how can we actually tackle them with that? And also looking at um, different groups of users as well. If you're thinking now again about SAVE, I was creating a value proposition for the government and one of the pain points was that they need to reach a sustainable development goals. So I was then thinking about, okay, what kind of value could SAFE bring? It could help to reduce inequality and help to meet the goal of climate action. So I use it in that kind of sense. Okay, yeah. But that's actually sounds quite reasonable and quite um, impactful already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe zooming in on the, the customer experience, just as a wonderment, if you look at... Um, uh, yeah, you, you you did the project. You 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 come up with the with a solution. If you're looking towards like other projects in this um uh, in this this sphere of of design, um, what is something that could make solutions more attractive to uh to users? Is there something that you you think of like ah oh, why they do why don't they do this? It's go it's going to be like a major um uh, uh role in in making things more attractive and making them more. Uh, yeah, inspiring to, to be used. I think one of the key factors is to build trust. If you design something and if you use as an example on sustainable solutions, it will definitely be trust. I think we have so many different ideas, different good ideas also that try to help us to um, 
like take action um, and um, reduce the impact that we have on our climate. Um, and I think building trust would be important because there is so many things um, around sustainability. Many people use that term and it's overused already. So people don't have to trust anymore. And because of the greenwashing as well, mm -hmm. people think, oh, that's just a marketing claim. So mm -hmm. I don't trust that one. And I think having transparency and building trust is super valuable um, mm -hmm. for good design solutions to make it also appealing to um, users. And of course, then also considering the backstage process, right? Because it's not only what is visible to the user, but if it's not like working in a backstage, it can be appealing to the end user, but then it's not appealing for everyone else that mm -hmm. you need to make it work. Yeah, of course. Can you give us an, an example of, of, of establishing trust? Like how, how can we do that? I think it also has a lot to do with the collaboration and who you work with. I think um, in terms of my project, what I figure out is if this would be something from the supermarket only, people might think that it's just a marketing thing and they wouldn't build a lot of trust to it. And if they would know that there are so many um, organizations there that they can trust that are not in, well, that are not really connected to each other, so that you think, oh, they do it only for the profit. I think that would be a way how you could build trust, but then also providing transparency to them and tell them, okay, if they, let's say for example, a uh, jumper, mm -hmm. if it's like 100% made from recyclable cotton, um, or if it's like only 5% percent of it because usually what you find if you want to shop sustainably for fashion is also that you see um, them saying it's 15 percent made of recyclable cotton and then you think what about the rest so having the transparency and showing them the whole process i think that's really um important and then you go into the life cycle and making that clear and you told us in the beginning people don't have time for all of that so is that something you can still disclose, but then like hidden a bit deeper? Or do you think there's other methods that, yeah, that you've tried actually and saved and that prove more useful than that? I think this is something that I would love to dig deeper in the future. So I'm currently also thinking about how we can um, show the life cycle or the whole like system to the end user. I think this would be quite valuable. Um, but yeah, the time and not having time is a very important thing to consider. But also it's, first of all, about how to build the trust to um, the end users and to build the connection. And it's all, I think, also about communications. How do you speak to them and how do you attract them and bring the attention? And I think as soon as you actually have the trust, then you don't actually need the whole um, long process to show them all the time, as long as I think it exists. I think people always want to know that it exists. If I want to check it out, I can have a look at it and it shows me um, how much CO2, for instance, it got produced. But if you don't have that information, mm -hmm. 
um, and they know that you don't have the information, I think that makes it a bit you need difficult. The facts. You need to yeah. do your research. You need to exactly. make sure that you actually know what you're claiming. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't really need to look at it all the time, but at least you checked it out once or twice and know it's there. And I think then it's like um, you build that trust for that certain thing already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I was also thinking about um, when you want to uh, implement the change or, or improve a service, it, it's not only trust towards the consumer or customer, but also trust within the organization sometimes. And yeah, for me, the co-creation there is also a, a, a big tool to get that leverage and really get everyone uh, involved and, and see um, and, and inspired as well and passionate about the, the project as well. Um, I like all the advice you gave us, actually. <laughs> You've shared quite a few life lessons, <laughs> quite a few methods. Um, if there's anything you would like um, for people who want to tackle a similar challenge, what advice would you give them on, on focusing on first? can be anything. I think, first of all, it needs to be something that you're interested in or that you're super passionate about. I think this, first of all, helps a lot. And then during the whole process, always think about different kind of users, think about providing accessibility, put it down on Miro, Mural, <laughs> or on paper, but put it down so that you don't forget them and always keep them in mind and always go back also as well and think about if I now design it in that way is there some thing that I could cause that would be something negative um, or would it be okay for other groups um, for example mm. alright so taking into account all the side effects being yeah. aware of possible forms of exclusion and designing for trust mm-hmm. in this process those are my key takeaways. Thank you, Shuyi. Uh, and thank you for coming over to Ghent to join us here in the studio. Mm-hmm. I hope you'll have a great afternoon after this <laughs> in the city of Ghent. Mm-hmm. Um, and for our uh, listeners, perhaps, um, where can when, where can they find other work you've done <laughs> or, or work you've done? Should they find you on LinkedIn? Do you have a portfolio you can share? They can find me on LinkedIn. So I'm currently updating my portfolio, so it's not online. But if it's online, it's on my LinkedIn page, definitely. All right, we'll share that link on our uh, on our web page. And I, I also think if you, as a listener, want to know more about Safe, there's also the um, uh, yeah introducing or meeting the winners from the Service Design Network page. It's uh, on servicedesignnetwork.com. It's a page where uh, Chuyi's project is uh, written, and there's also a video they can watch, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. So uh, it's very interesting. It's going. It's a deep dive into the project and into the uh, yeah, service and the, the result as well. So uh, please check that out. Thank you, Julie. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, our episode uh, with uh, Julie Wang. Stay tuned for more episodes. We're also going to uh, to have a talk with the winner of the best commercial service design project and also the best non-profits. Uh, so stay tuned for more. We're out. <laughs>